I'm also going to record this so I can put it on. So you'll okay. see that little notification come up. I yeah. did. And I, um, I, yes, what you're, what you're talking about there with your concerns around the politicization of the therapy process is something that is, is incredibly alarming to me and is what motivated me to start talking about this in a more public way. Um, it's an exploitation of a very vulnerable time. Yeah. It's a time when a person could be more suggestible and definitely is trying to put trust in another person to help them through what, you know, the difficulties of life. And so to, to, to co-opt that space for the indoctrination of some set of ideological principles is just, it's a really dirty project. And I, I, Thank you for putting it so well. And just for anybody who has not already come across you, I want to introduce you really quick, and then I'll I'll read you the 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 civility pledge that I was told to yeah, sign. Yeah, that, that you were asked to sign, mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. So Aaron uh, <clears throat> Kinsvater, Dr. Aaron Kinsvater, I'm speaking with today, is a former professor of counselor education. He left his tenured position to start a private practice in Burlington, Vermont. And we're speaking today because, um, uh, you know, he's wanting to sh discuss these shared experiences of being uh, encouraged to, well, my experience of being encouraged to politicize therapy in my training program and his concerns around these same things. And so this is just a really wonderful opportunity to have a dialogue around some of these things. Yeah. And um, so, so you civility up, pledge, yeah. Yeah, what, you I mean, brought up you know, on the pledge. on the surface, that's mm -hmm. you know, who wouldn't have a problem with signing a civility pledge, right? <laughs> right. But yeah. then you yeah. find out, I suspect something is in it that. <laughs> yeah, and that links really well with something else that we wanted to talk about, which is this obfuscation of language and this yeah. like like sort of um, this this fancy gloss that we've got over everything with this lovely de flowery DEI language that how could you ever oh, object gosh. to things like anti-racism, right. et cetera, et cetera. But yes, this was what this was called a civility pledge. Uh, at some point, I believe during 2020, Antioch started to incorporate this language into their syllabi for the CMHC, the, the clinical mental health counseling program that I was attending. I did not notice it because I just wasn't in the habit of combing over my syllabi. Mm -hmm. um, at, until a required course for a required course, a professor require, required as our first assignment that we go into our discussion forum and post that we agreed to this pledge. So I went in and read the language and I said, I can't agree with this. And I'll read it in just a second, I'll read it out loud. Um, and I dropped the, the class at that point because I knew that my only other option was to post publicly that I didn't agree with it. And that would be, yeah. That wasn't something I was prepared to do because of. Yes. Now, interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So mm -hmm. already the manipulation has started, mm -hmm. you know, right? But let's, mm -hmm. in, a, in a couple of ways, the manipulation has already started. But right. let's, let's right. hear, like, I'm sure, but I'm, you know, I'm sure the civility pledge just means that you will express yourself honestly mm -hmm. and with manners, right? Well, that they do include that. So the yeah. second half of the civility pledge, I'm Oh, there's for. a second half. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, but, but it was the first part that I didn't agree with. And yeah. so it says, uh, it says, I acknowledge that racism, sexism, heterosexism, classism, ableism, ageism, nativism, and other forms of interpersonal and institutionalized forms of oppression exist. And again, that second forms is in there. It's not my yeah. I will do my best to better understand my own privileged and marginalized identities and the power that these afford me. 
And so then the next part is just about like academic honesty. And if you, yeah. uh, if you feel upset about something, you'll talk to the professor. So it's, it's uh, all good stuff at the end. But that first part, I thought, you know, I can sort of massage this to be something that I can agree with. I can, yeah. I yeah. don't, it's not that I don't think that those forms of oppression exist. Right. I think yeah. people discriminate against each other for all kinds of sure. reasons. And, sure. and I, yeah. I'm not objecting to those on, on principle. What I'm objecting to is the compelled language. Right. And the, the part that I couldn't really massage to fit my worldview was the part about identities. I don't yeah. agree that I have privileged and marginalized identities. Right. I don't agree with the intersectional framework right. of defining a human based on a series of group identities. I have an identity and my identity is made up of different facets of my being, but mm -hmm. I don't have privileged and marginalized identities. And I just refuse to go along with that. And I just felt like there's a line in the sand and maybe yeah. I'll look silly if I don't step over it, but I'm just going to have to choose a place. And this is where I'm going to choose. Yeah. Well, and so you, but you're put into a position too, where you're mm -hmm. going to have to publicly agree to this or not. And mm -hmm. I mean, do you, do you have a sense of like why that was, why you would need to publicly agree to it or, or say that you wouldn't, why public? Like, why not just let you like click a box or something? Yeah, I think it's probably because, you know, uh, the, in, in thought reform, the more yeah. you confess, the That's more, right. the closer you come to the belief system. So right. if I say, I agree with this, it's right. like the cognitive dissonance won't it won't allow me to say that and also disagree with it. So I'm much more likely to then start to align with it. I think it's a way to increase adherence. Yeah, it, it is. I, I, I think there are both. I, I think there are interesting things going on from a psychological perspective here, mm -hmm. both mm -hmm. interpersonally intrapersonally and then from a group perspective because i think i think another sort of way that that uh, so first let's just acknowledge that there you're having to agree you know we would both agree i you know we're both practitioners i know i certainly uh in the course of my work have addressed issues of racism i have mm -hmm. uh, addressed mm -hmm. issues of homophobia with clients mm -hmm. like that stuff is out there and mm -hmm. it you know i think that kind of like overt old school if you mm -hmm. will racism mm -hmm. it is alive and well and it probably will be as long as there are people who are sort of desperately lonely and unhappy uh that you know they they tend to channel those those energies into uh into a racialization so we know that that's mm -hmm. that does occur mm -hmm. but what you're but what they've done is they've they have they have used that sort of traditional sense of racism and homophobia and all the other things that are in there that occur that that nobody would have any problem acknowledging, but they've also added something, which is sort of the intersectional piece. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's that's sort of an old that's that's an old sort of Maoist trick. And I'm I, I'm not sure that they're, you know, that there's some evil genius saying let's study Mao and then repeat that. But it is a very much divide and conquer kind of mentality. 
I think what's also really interesting is that um, they are beginning to establish a group dynamic. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about how this works in counselor training programs is um, people seem to know that are these, you know, social justice type counselor educators, uh, they, they seem to understand very well how to use the pressure of groups to get ideological compliance. Mm -hmm. And it's, mm -hmm. it's really kind of creepy how it starts because a lot of times it does start with what sounds like a really open invitation. Mm -hmm. um, so in your case, it was sort of like a civility pledge. In other cases, you tend to, and maybe I would be curious if this sounds familiar to you, but you come into like your, <clears throat> you know, your, I don't know, your intersectionality class or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you hear a speech that's something like, um, I just want to let you know that you are, you know, you're accepted here. All mm -hmm. ideas are um, welcome. We don't want to be hurtful. Wherever you're at is okay. Mm -hmm. You know, so, something like that, something they, they begin with sort of a Rogerian, mm -hmm. unconditional mm -hmm. positive regard. Mm -hmm. But then along the way, the, there are these little things that you agree to, and they make sure that you agree to it publicly. And what they're trying to do is form a group cohesiveness. Mm -hmm. Because once they do that, um, uh, the, the group will generally begin by being very interested in each other and very open. Mm -hmm. And it will be characterized initially by unconditional positive regard. Mm -hmm. In your case, there was a condition placed early, which is the condition is you need to sign this civility pledge, which involves, you know, a, uh, that, that you affirm a, a, a political mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. ideology in order to take this class. Mm -hmm. um, but, but a lot of times it starts with sort of, you don't have to make a commitment ahead of time because the, the point is to provide a sense of safety and warmth and mm -hmm. to get people comfortable and, and to, to begin to make them malleable, to begin and to make them wanna please each other. I think these are really, this is a really great outline that you're describing about how it's sort of a softening you up. Like you, it is you a sort softening of, yeah, up. like you're, you're giving, uh, you're kind of sugarcoating this thing. And, and right. once somebody's already holding your hand and walking along the path with you, you can introduce some elements that might be a little bit harder to swallow if you were hit with those up front. But yeah. since you're already walking down the path, you'll go ahead and accept these and it's a little easier. And well, I will and, say, that yeah. my, the civility pledge, this was, I don't know how, if this is planned out by Antioch, but this was in an, like a, a much later part of my coursework near the end of, of it. So they introduced this in like a, a class that already had many prerequisites before you could get to it. And mm -hmm. so there, it, it was very much, uh, as you describe in line with what you're describing, it wasn't yeah. hit right out of the gates with this kind of thing. Yeah. And I don't know if they've changed their policy to where now they're doing that, but but it goes in line with what you're describing. Well, if they haven't changed their policy, I wouldn't be surprised. I think there's some really frightening things, but uh, let me just, I mean, we've got a lot to talk about, but let's just, let's rehash what we've talked about so far, which is essentially 
you know, <clears throat> that you're introduced to this um, gradually and, and they, they feed you the soft stuff first. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so that you're walking down the path, but you're not walking down the path alone, are you? Mm -mm. You're walking down the path with, you know, maybe the other group members and mm -hmm. with the professor and you feel okay there mm -hmm. because you're experiencing unconditional positive regard. But then something weird begins to happen. And that is that slowly, gradually, conditions are placed on the regard. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. and, and now what happens, this is where the, this is where the group becomes a very powerful tool uh, to gain ideological compliance. Because we've already said, okay, we're going to you know, this group is going to solidify around this civility pledge, which says lots of nice stuff. And, you know, you're going to agree to sort of follow a Maoist model of, of, uh, you know, identity and, you know, formation or whatever. Um, so what happens is, is, is if the group begins to form around that, then, uh, Anyone who begins to push back against that or not go along with that will then have to face the consequence of being abandoned by the group and possibly by the professor. So there's a there's a very subtle abandonment threat, you know, and it's it, it's sort of part of that conditional positive regard that starts to happen like if you don't go along with this if you're not civil well there must be something deeply wrong with you and then you then the pressure to comply with <clears throat> with 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 this little thing that initially you were uncomfortable with but you just kind of went along um the the stakes are now much greater because mm -hmm. you formed mm -hmm. these relationships mm -hmm. that mean something to you now, that they're important to you, and uh, uh, and to and to and to you know and to stand up to that little thing that doesn't suit you very well or that doesn't go along with you very well, um, that becomes much harder. And even as that's becoming much harder, the demands um, for the suspension of disbelief to, mm -hmm. uh, to not introduce inconvenient questions about the morality of ethics of what's being taught uh, becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. So we move from a... Um, you know, we move from unconditional positive regard to gradually conditional positive regard. Mm -hmm. And then what, what also happens simultaneously is, and this is what's really creepy about this. I mean, any, anyone who's got mental health training um, will be familiar with the behavioral mechanism of negative reinforcement, mm -hmm. that it's, you know, negative reinforcement for people who are watching who might not know is um, it's just an incredibly powerful behavioral mechanism that can have a major impact on how people behave. And essentially, uh, negative reinforcement is escape behavior. 
And, you know, it's, it's, it's the mechanism behind phobias that can keep people, you know, restricting their lives. Like uh, someone with claustrophobia may not go on the highway because they can't stand to be, to have their seatbelt on, or mm -hmm. someone who has um, agoraphobia might not go to the grocery store because they're having a panic attack. So in each of those cases, people are escaping something that's uncomfortable and they're circumscribing their lives to do it. What happens in these so-called DEI trainings is, uh, you know, or intersectionality classes or DEI classes or whatever, is there's a group process that starts where the relationships matter to you and then conditions are placed where you have to go along with uh, these ideas or be, you know, be on the out group, but also in order to adopt these ideas, the group begins to place a great amount of pressure. The instructor, you know, might say that, you know, a good grade is, is based on your compliance with, you know, that, mm -hmm. that you might have to essentially repeat what the professor wants you to think. And the group members will sort of begin to gang up on you. Mm -hmm. And what, what's going on there is the difference between negative reinforcement, by the way, and punishment is that punishment will stop a behavior. Mm -hmm. Reinforcement always encourages a behavior. Mm -hmm. And when, when the group puts pressure on a student and the professor puts pressure on a student, what that pressure is, is negative reinforcement and negative reinforcement to do what? Comply with mm -hmm. the ideas that that were hinted at at the beginning. So you're placed in this situation where there is constant pressure to, on you, and but there's always a little escape hatch that you can choose to go through at any time. And so what is the escape hatch? Compliance. And it's a hugely powerful uh, behavioral mechanism. Um, if you just comply, the pressure will stop. We will like you again, um, as long as you stay in line with the conditions that we have set out. Does that sound familiar to you? It what do you very think? much does. That's, it's yeah. a really great uh, way to sort of organize that phenomenon. I've got some loud lawnmowers outside, so I've muted <laughs> I, I, myself on and off. Can you hear I, I, them? I, I, okay, I can't okay. hear them. But Sorry. I, they picked the but most you know what's, what's really creepy is what I've just described to you. Uh, it was described by an author by the name of Merlot, Merlou, rather, uh, who wrote, uh, he was writing about the treatment of um, political prisoners and how do you get how do you get a political, what you want with a political prisoner is you don't want to just punish them. You want to change their belief system so it matches yours. And what I've just described to you uh, is, is very much in line with, um, with what Merlou, Merlou thought. And the title of his book, by the way, is called The Rape of the Mind. Mm -hmm. And this, like, it's really scary when you go back and you read a book like this and say, wow, that sounds a lot like what's going on in intersectionality class. Boy, that sounds a lot like what I'm hearing from people. That's really creepy. And there's, and, you know, part, part of the process too is like 
agreements to little things, getting, getting you to agree a little bit at a time. There's also sort of an atmosphere of confession. And I don't, I don't know if you might've run into this or not, but it's interesting in sort of how the critical social justice um, literature, the use of confession comes up a lot. And it really I, does. I yeah. uh, well, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that confession does is if if you have to confess that you have gone against something, like just say, for example, that I am religious and I I have sins and I have to confess those sins, what that does is it sort of, you know, on a psychological level it elevates the importance of the doctrine to which I have violated by sinning. And uh, so what I, I think by getting people to confess, what they're doing is, is they're not, it's part of it's about getting a person to sort of, I, I don't know if the word is supplicate themselves to the, to the material, but it's also about elevating the status of the material as something sacred that one must sort of confess to when one has, I don't know, gone astray from it. And so I, th I think that's part of it. I also think that in situations like what we're talking about, confession becomes a way of achieving status. It becomes a way of witnessing what the group um, or what the, you know, the professor, what the counselor um, favors, mm -hmm. like, if you can just begin to sort of confess, then you start to get lots of positive mm -hmm. reinforcement, the conditions on regard don't go away. Mm -hmm. But you do start to, you know, you gain status by confessing. And this is a hugely powerful uh, method of psychological manipulation. Well, it's, it's really interesting that it also sort of taps into, it's kind of a perversion of the value of courage because the person who stands up and confesses is demonstrating sort of a courageous willingness to, uh, you know, well, demonstrating bravery because this is apparently something bad. You don't want to confess this, but it it's within a caged system where you yeah. know that you're going to be rewarded for it. So yeah. it sort of turns that whole value on its head, but yeah, you still it's... get the group credit, you get credit. And so people want to, it demonstrates something that then other people want to emulate. And so well, you it's, have a, it's a faux, yeah, it's a faux bravery and mm -hmm. it, it's, a, you know, it's like a faux virtue, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking about what we've talked about so far and it's like, well, so there are the, there are these, these psychological pressures and these, you know, the, there's this process of negative reinforcement um, that is used to gain ideological compliance. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how you're, that's how you're, that's how you're trained as a counselor to approach these issues in therapy. Like the, the, this is not just, you know, the, these classes are not like, they're not exact, they, too often they're very much like therapy for mm -hmm. you know, the counseling students, which mm -hmm. in and of itself is extremely troubling. Um, but 
But remember, all these trainings are ultimately to train people to work with individuals. And that's where this gets really, really scary. Because I think what we're defining here is an extremely unhealthy process. Oh, yes. Uh, and, and, right. and it's yeah. a very subtle and powerful form of manipulation. Mm -hmm. And this is and, and training counselors to do what? And to it's perpetuate like perpetuate this. Perpetuate this in the therapy room. And it's 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 really uh scary to me uh the degree to which that that is beginning uh to come out. Um well you know what uh, something you just said I wanted to pick up on. You said that this these classes end up being something like therapy for the counseling students. And yeah. you talked about that being unhealthy. And I wanted to just pause on that because this was something that was um, explicitly discussed at Antioch, that this would be like you were basically, they, they even talked about it at the orientation that I went to for the program. This yeah. is going to be like doing three years of intense therapy for you. Mm. And so yeah. they talked about this at the beginning of a lot of the courses, especially during the first uh, semester or two, that this is like, you've got to do the work. This is going to come yeah. out of you. And I, I recognize that that's going to be a part of the process of learning a lot of this yeah. is that you're, you're learning how to apply different pattern analysis, not only outwardly, but also inwardly. And so, yes, that's going to be a byproduct, but something that I thought was particularly interesting in my experience with the multicultural perspectives course that I've, I've spent some time talking about on this channel in some earlier videos, yeah. which was the most concentrated and difficult uh, social justice mm, training of the program for me. Um, this professor went out of her way to say she was not that she, she painted it as if I had been asking her to be my therapist by talking about my perspective and how it, based on my, my experiences and my perspective and my analysis, I disagreed with the CRT that she was teaching. Yeah. She framed this as me looking for mental health therapy through the program. And, and um, my, my first <laughs> grievance that I, that I, that I, I went through oh, with, uh, with Antioch was over this, over the fact that in my grade, my, um, we, we did narrative evaluations rather than like numerical or letter grades. Yeah. Uh, my narrative evaluation was this student needs to go to counseling to get over her racial issues. And she tried to use this course as a way to, to, to <laughs> get free therapy or whatever it was. It was so, she said it more. I think that's eloquently. called progression. I think that's called, <laughs> I think that's called projection. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, yeah, I do too. But, but it's interesting that, you know, it, that was like, it was like this push pull of just that very concept that you're talking about. And so I, I just wanted to pause on that and ask you to, to talk a little bit more about that. No, I mean, let's, let's look at the process of what happened. So you have a personality that is a strong one and no one is going to, you're too ethical to lightly sign a piece of paper. Mm. And frankly, in, in my opinion, uh, the profession really has a lot to learn from people like you. Uh, mm. people, people are too, way too quick uh, to give into that kind of pressure to the detriment of the very people that they're trying to help. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, but but so let's but you're like you're a, for the for this professor you're a hard nut to crack because you you don't you will not comply, mm -hmm. and it's not that you didn't feel the pressures that were in the class. Um, it's but your you know your 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 personality is sort of stable enough mm -hmm. that you don't give into it. So now, what is her option? Because now you you are you are interfering with the way that this process works. Mm -hmm. And that creates a great deal of anxiety in the system. When people start asking questions and raising ethical and moral objections to this material that, that people like your professor, I've not yet, and I've really looked, I have not heard solid answers to the ethical and moral concerns around the politicization of therapy. And I've really looked. Mm -hmm. And I, so I don't think that person could answer mm -hmm. to a student who just wasn't buying it. Mm -hmm. it I, don't, I think they've got zero mechanisms no, they, with a student right. like you. You're right. You know, and and so the professor actually cried in class when I, of course, this when professor I, cried. When I brought it up. <laughs> yeah. So when she actually cried and talked about her emotional labor. Yeah. Boo hoo. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, so, what that, what, what yeah. that's called is emotional blackmail. Mm -hmm. And anyone who uh, is trying to use those kind of um, tactics uh, has no business being in the front of a classroom, none whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Because what she what she was trying to do again is to sort of paint you as the bad guy, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, and if she's letting it get to her to that point, then she clearly has boundary problems. Mm -hmm. um, but but in addition to that, you're being punished. Um, reinforcement no longer works. We cannot get Leslie to comply. We've tried. You know, you know, we've tried negative reinforcement. Mm -hmm. We tried positive reinforcement. Um, reinforcement doesn't work. Now we're going to punish her. Mm -hmm. And uh, punishment is a way to stop behavior. What are we going to try to get her to stop doing? Stop objecting. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, stop, stop, stop being questioning new, right? it. Yeah. Stop, stop asking these questions. Start yeah. stop raising these points. And so she's, you know, she essentially says you know, you're crazy. You need, mm -hmm. you need yeah. therapy. And th that, that's just, gross. again, like what, what is a student to take from an experience like this when they yeah. go out and work with people who are in a great deal of mental distress? What is a student to take from this mm -hmm. kind of behavior and treatment when they're entering a school to work with very young children, say? Mm -hmm. Like what, what lessons are we, are, are being instilled into, into counselors who are well, going to be with vulnerable? Yeah, it's bullying. It's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not healthy at all. It's incredibly dysfunctional. It is incredibly dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, and I, 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 I would like to like take some time if, folks would mind if and if you would mind Leslie I'd like to illustrate like how this is playing out right now um and if if people bear with me I'd like to read uh, a couple of paragraphs from an article I found or that I, I really found really alarming uh on this and it's it's called how to talk 
uh, to white clients about race or racism. Oh okay, yeah, or please something do. Like that. Yeah, this is, and anyone who wants to, um, this article's free, it's out there. So how to talk to your white clients about race. Yeah, if you want to find just, a link and send it to me, I can put it under. Yeah, I will. Yeah, we can put that in for a thing. I, I did want to just touch on the issue of, of whiteness and so forth, because I, I think some people get nervous sometimes, um, you know, to see someone like me to say, hey, I think, I think whiteness is like a really bad idea. I think it's, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's gross and I think it's filthy. And I think we, that's not an all legitimate way of like looking at the world and, and please don't do that. Mm -hmm. And some people look at that and they get uncomfortable um, because the only tools that they have to like understand that are, you know, oh, you know, we, we don't like, um, we don't like it when you use, when you connect social ills with whiteness, um, be, because the, the only way we can then understand that is by saying, um, oh, you must like really revel in your whiteness. You must be a white supremacist or something like that. And I, I, the point that people miss is, well, first of all, that is gross and it's no fun, but like, I'm not concerned about me. Mm -hmm. uh, that once, once you like racialize, um, you know, you, you take a problem in society and then you attribute that problem to a particular race. I mean, we've read that book before mm -hmm. and it's like, people need to remember what their grandfathers taught them. Like mm -hmm. what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Mm -hmm. And if these, you know, I don't know, maybe well-meaning people, I'm starting to doubt that increasingly, but like if they, <laughs> the American School Counseling Association, for example, um, has endorsed Kendi, who, who talks mm -hmm. about these mm -hmm. issues. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, you know, if <laughs> they've reached into the depths of their wisdom and the best that they can bring out is to say, you know, this is really, it's the problem of people of a particular race. That ought to work really mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. what, what, the, what they are not paying attention to is where that goes, that if mm -hmm. you start to racialize, that conversation, then you said that these conversations are best racialized. And there are people, um, if they feel threatened or devalued, who will begin to say, hey, okay, mm -hmm. if we're going to play the race blame game, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're already so hardwired to do that, mm -hmm. that we, it's really a very, very bad idea Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's filthy idea to begin to racialize it's, these things. it's just extremely gross. reductive and it just goes ugly places it just calls to people to uh, use very simplistic judgmental thinking that yeah. erases so much of what it means to be a person yeah and, well and then and then you, you know i'm sure that so i'm going to read i'm going to read from this article that's mm -hmm. called how to talk to your white clients about race but i'm sure that the person who wrote this or people who think like this author also have ideas about how to talk to black clients about race mm -hmm. and you and you've started to hear mm -hmm. uh you know issues like um you know, black people who are anti-black and you started to hear about 
multi, I, I can't even remember what the term, some dumb term, like multi-ethnic whiteness or multiracial whiteness. It, it was essentially yeah. saying that you, you can be white even if you're black. Like it's like, yeah. it's just- it's Being just a black a, white supremacist because yeah, of internalized just, white supremacy. Just, and yeah, yeah. Just this nonsense. Well, and it's, and like, it's it's the Kafka trap. It's like, yeah. oh, you, you're just denying this because you really are this. You know, it's like you, you right. of course you're denying it because of your white right. supremacy. Oh, I'm not white, sorry. Then you've got <laughs> internalized white supremacy and yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it's also useless because there's, I, I think I'm getting this guy's name right. He should just, he should be, he should be awarded a presidential medal. But I was saying earlier that I really think that racism, and I know like the social justice types are going to say, oh, you know, that kind of racism isn't what we're talking about. We're talking about structural racism. Mm. But I think actual honest to God racism and homophobia, which you and I see all the time, mm -hmm. you know, in our practices, not that our clients are that way, but mm -hmm. that issues like that come up. They're right? real issues. Well, yeah. Yeah. Real clients come in who have, you know, been discriminated against all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, but I really get the sense in hearing about like the people who do actually hold these, you know, um, uh, racialized views and so forth they're just so desperately lonely mm. and these ideas about whiteness and whatever else are not going to do anything to fix this situation they're only going to make them more isolated mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, and I, I i guess the object that i will hold up or the is the work of daryl davies i believe his name is and okay. this is a person who's he's a black man but he he's reached out to the heads of the Ku Klux Klan oh, okay. yeah, and I've has befriended them. Yeah. them. Mm. And I, I, I have to go back and look at this, but dozens of, um, of these people have given Daryl Davies their hoods. Mm. They just, you because know. Because he's looking at the underlying issues he's that might seeing, lead to the symptoms of racism person he's being mm -hmm. a friend mm -hmm. and he's connecting to people on a very human level and i'm not saying that's easy for him but what i am saying is that what he's demonstrating for us is this is not the time to start moralizing to people so this know? is interesting because this this mr davies he is seeing the racist as a person versus social justice which sees the person as the uh, it, racist or the ism or whatever and yeah, so it, he's looking what, at this and he's saying here's this one part of you but i yeah. think that there's more of you and i think we can draw that out and find something richer and it's it's the absolute inversion of of what social justice is doing it is because what daryl davies is doing and i i do hope i'm getting his name right i i meant to review his work but i've been a i've been a fan of what he's been doing for a long time but um he um he's taking a he's taking a liberal humanist perspective mm -hmm. he's like taking an actual rogerian perspective mm -hmm. and he's showing that that works <laughs> yeah. and um you know, I think I feel like we all knew that until five minutes ago that, you know, what what we could do if we really wanted to do something about racism um, 
and, and you know, homophobia and so forth. It's like we could, as as counselors, and I don't know if this is really the counselor's job, but say maybe a school counselor, you could instead of like going around saying um, you're either a rant. Uh, a racist or an anti-racist there's nothing in between mm -hmm. what you could be doing instead of that is trying to forge relationships between mm -hmm. people who differ and show people what it's like to both give and receive unconditional positive regard and i i do not understand how or why that got lost i guess i have some ideas that i'd like to share before we're done here but yeah I, I would like, to, and I know this might run just a little bit long, but I, I would like to like bring this around to like what's actually happening in, in the counseling rooms. Mm -hmm. Like if you were to take this perspective that um, like a lot of these, you, we talked about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and those words like in practice, it's almost if you invert them, that's yeah. how they actually play out. It's like yes, diversity means conformity, um, mm -hmm. inclusion means exclusion, you yeah. know, th that if you, if you think something harmful, then you don't belong, mm -hmm. kind of like you, you, you know, you, you, yeah. you're, you're not going along, so you don't belong. <laughs> Well, and equity uh, means unequal treatment. Equity means discrimination. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. like, yeah. But but it's like that's 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 how language works in, in social justice. And maybe there's, you know, if you want to, maybe we'll talk again in a little more detail about the language games that are played and why it's so hard to argue uh, with yeah. someone like your professor and uh, talk about, you know, what 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 these people are doing. But um, but here's here's from this article. So I, I think the point that I was wanting to make is this article is about how to talk to white clients about race. But this is not a concern for white people. This is a concern about the release, the racialization, uh, the politicization and the racialization of psychotherapy. So this is the using the opportunity to sit with one client in order to benefit a right. different person that's not sitting in front of you. Okay. Or even worse, okay. a group of people like okay. where where you you say and the author says this in this in this um, in this article. It's kind of like you have to take into account not just the needs of the individual sitting across from you you need to take into account the needs of sort of like it's like this public health argument yeah it's like yeah. you know of you know marginalized groups yeah and this is somehow and, still called therapy and counseling but, yeah which okay. it just it really really it's, like i i think one of the things that needs to happen is people who don't buy into this are really going to have to find a way to distinguish themselves from people who do buy into it. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. But but this guy presents, or I, I don't know if it's a guy or girl or whatever, okay. but this person presents a like a five-step model on, he, he has a, a, a case vignette in which a person who is a traditional um, liberal, um, who who is interested in equality uh, comes to therapy, and um, and throughout this article, um, the author sort of rails against traditional liberalism as being a racist perspective, because from an anti-racist perspective, um, you have to agree to the tenets 
of anti-racism that include things like um, all, all disparities between groups are due exclusively to racism. You can't be a capitalist and an anti-racist, you know, all, all of these things that you have to agree to. Uh, so any, and, and from the anti-racist perspective, um, you're either a racist or an anti-racist. They're very clear in saying that there's nothing in between. So you can't, you know, you can't be a non-racist who, you know, is conservative or a non-racist like Daryl Davies, who is like a traditional humanist, right? But, he, but anyway, he lays out this five-step model for how to manipulate therapy clients into the anti-racist point of view. And I've just like, I've taken a couple of paragraphs that I'd like to read. Um, so uh, here they are. This is from the, you know, early on. And I'm, I'm quoting here. The first in-session step of this model is also likely one of the most different for the anti-racist white therapist. In order to maintain our therapeutic stance and to preserve the working relationship, our first task when addressing racism in therapy is simply to listen to the client's story and create a safe holding space where honest feelings can be explored. Although racist worldviews are very difficult to hear without immediately pushing back against, this step is essentially to protect the therapeutic alliance and keep clients engaged before working to increase their racial consciousness. So take their hand and start walking down the path. Yeah, make them, and, and the way that he's using racist, he's not talking about like a Ku Klux Klan person. He's yeah. talking about like a traditional liberal person who believes in equality. Yeah. That to an anti-racist is racist. He's a racist, yeah. Yeah, and so this person starts out by viewing his client as a racist and even describes the animus. And he's, he's calling the client the racist. Yeah, well, I don't know if he is actually he saying said that? that, but I, I think he might have said, like, <laughs> folks can go and check. I mean, the article's available, but, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't think he says the okay, race, okay. But, but I think okay. he says racist worldviews, which, I mean, yeah. it's essentially okay. the same thing. It's so um, judgmental. It's so judgmental. So here's, here's, so here's the next stage in okay. the work. This is like after therapy has progressed, after the relationship has been established mm -hmm. so that you can, you know, so you the can influence not going to say this is crazy. Yeah. Thanks. Right yeah. now the client is dependent on the relationship. Mm -hmm. The client, you know, feels safe and, and, and is buttered up. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. This is a pivotal stage for Jeff's work as the therapist attempts to facilitate a connection between Jeff's racial consciousness and his stated goals for therapy. Hmm. Even though Jeff did not present race as an explicit topic of interest when he came to therapy, by now the therapist has spent time making race a salient topic in therapy and begun to explore how it could have meaning in Jeff's life the ways he hadn't previously been aware of. The, it even though he didn't come in talking about race, we have spent time building the groundwork so that we can change how this person views race, race into it. Wow. Yeah. wow. And then here's here's the final um, stage. Um, I'm taking from again direct quote. 
Through an intentional process of creating a trusting relationship, introducing the saliency of race in Jeff's life, exploring his racial consciousness, and then connecting race to his stated clinical concerns, the therapist can facilitate a new level of racial consciousness and motivation for growth. Very little or none of this is possible if the white therapist has not done a great deal of their own work so that defensiveness is low and comfort and motivation are high. Oh my gosh. Wow. So, and then he goes out, like throughout the article, he talks again and again and again, this author about, um, this is actually good for the client, for the white client. Like the, the white client doesn't really need, know that they need this, but the white client is not, the author also says that all, all white people are racist, but. Um, so this person he, has this hypothetical client who's made up as an amalgam of all white clients. Yeah. And with, we know what, we know what's best for you and it's right. best to take to connect your your pre- presenting concern to race somehow right and walk you into this racialized discussion and change you to benefit yeah. somebody else or some other group of people who are not and then people. and then to also say that how cynical you, the two messages to the client are you didn't know that you needed this but i knew that you mm. needed this and now you're more complete you know yeah And you know where else I hear this? And this is, I I was so disturbed. Mm -hmm. I hear this from clients who have experienced date rape. That, that what, what they, not this exact, they, I hear it on a process level. It's the same Mm -hmm. message that rapists say to people who have been raped, who they know. And so what they'll say is like, um, Mm. you know, this wasn't for me this was for you you didn't know that you needed this but i know that you needed this um you're now a more fulfilled person because this happens Hmm. i hear that story all the time wow and it's so you see a real and this is a therapist using this same the same techniques ideas to to say this is how you do this to your clients in the therapy room i you know if that doesn't scare people off therapy <laughs> well I I, i'm starting okay so let me yeah. let me talk about the ethics of this and I, yeah. I know this is long but there's a lot here to talk about um the american counseling association anticipated that there could be clashes between the client's values and the therapist's values. Mm-hmm. And so they have a very, very strong, um, unambivalent statement, um, which is in, it's like section A4 or something like that, where they say that the, um, the counselor will not impose their uh, their their views, their values, their behaviors onto their clients. And Mm -hmm. essentially what they're, and then they say that, you know, essentially they're saying counselors cannot gratify themselves by, by placing their values on imposing their values onto someone else. And that can be very gratifying to like control somebody in that way. 
But they also say, interestingly, like if you have a need to do that, there's something wrong with you and you should seek therapy. Like so, that's what that section of the ACA code of ethics says. And I know the code, I know the section you're talking about and something that uh, I keep wondering is how, how is it reconciled with other, other parts of the accreditation process? And I believe the ACA's new code that's coming out has that still in it, but also contains more information about cultural competency, which is right. this, it's, it's antithetical to that, but what, it takes yeah. this whole thing and it sets it outside of the individual counselor. And it says, but this is just goodness. That's, like that this is framework is just precisely what they've done. So what they've mm-hmm. done is like to get around this, mm-hmm. like the ACA is talking out of both sides of its mouth. Mm-hmm. It's, it's essentially saying that you shall not impose your values on the, um, on the client unless they're good values. And the way yeah. that they've done that is, and this is truly horrifying. If you look up the social justice or the multicultural and social social justice counseling competencies, mm-hmm. if you read between the lines in the competencies, it gives a it gives counselors full coverage to to break that aspect of of the um, of the ACA code of ethics. It mm-hmm. says in there. Here are the just in looking at the um, multicultural and social justice competencies, um, here are the things that you could do in in therapy. Mm -hmm. You could get clients to view themselves in terms of highly circumscribed composites based on a a political ideology, that being privileged and marginalized. Advance a political view in therapy to help and help clients, help clients adopt that view. Um, you could encourage clients to recruit their family members into the view. What is this? What is this document? <laughs> yeah, this is great. Look it up. We should we should link. Uh, I would like a link. This is the multicultural and social justice counseling competencies, oh which was goodness. approved by the American. Oh my goodness! Wow, it's just you like it's inc- like saying the quiet part out loud right now. It, well, it it is. I couldn't <sighs> believe this when I read it. You can encourage clients to vote in a way that reinforces the political. Oh view. my goodness! Are you? You kidding? can get clients to here's 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 the winner. You can get clients to change their values to align with far left political views. This this is being. This is actually, this isn't a criticism of this. This is actually what they say themselves. No, what they say okay. themselves is more nicely. So okay, here's, okay, okay. here's what they say yeah. that, that counseling um, competencies, mul- multicultural mm-hmm. and social justice competencies are. Here, and here's from the document. Culturally competent counselors assist privileged and mar- marginalized clients to develop critical consciousness by understanding their situation in the context of an oppressive society. Okay. So critical consciousness. <laughs> yeah. Assist them to develop the critical consciousness, which yeah. is the system of resentments and indignation right. that. And and yeah. level and and what's the term? Um, intersectional identities. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is just weighing yourself against everybody all the time. Here's another from the same, assist privilege and marginalized clients in unlearning their privilege and oppression. So you're gonna unlearn your privilege by adopting our, you know, point of view and you're gonna unlearn your oppression by adopting our point of view. Uh, Here's here's a real gem. Uh, And again, this is a direct quote. Utilize the norms, values and regulations of the marginalized client to shape 
the community norms, values, and regulations of the privileged client. I don't even know what that means, but like wow, that. Wow, we're going to shape your norms and values. We're going to change. To shape. Yeah. You know what? Wow. The shaping comes up in the psychological literature. Under, under the use of behavioral mechanisms, including positive and negative reinforcement and punishment. That's how you shape a behavior. Um, and here's the final one uh, that I, I mean, there's dozens of these, but these are the four that I picked mm -hmm. out. Assist privileged and marginalized clients in developing communication skills to discuss issues of power, privilege, and oppression with family, friends, peers, and colleagues. Wow. So we're going to make them, wow. into, you know, our social justice puppets. It, it just doesn't, none of this resembles therapy whatsoever. This is, this is a complete overtaking of a profession by an ideology. And, and then no. it's like turning therapists into like body snatched social justice perpetuators. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's essentially what's happening is uh -huh. that when, and it's happening, and, and this, is, this is why I wanted to talk with you because you've experienced this firsthand. Mm -hmm. You know what it's like to be convinced using these powerful manipulations, right? Mm -hmm. Are, you weren't convinced, but you've seen what it looks like mm -hmm. to use these powerful manipulations to be told it's absolutely the right thing to go out and do this, and you can ignore the ACA code of ethics about not imposing your values as long as you're doing it in the name of cultural competence. Mm -hmm. So I think the ACA really, really needs to have a moratorium on, you know, anti-racism and counselor education programs. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we quite explained anti-racism as much as we need to, but I will just say here that it is a terrible set of ideas mm -hmm. as, as described by Kendi. It's either um, with us or you're against us. Yeah, just, and all kinds of circumstances. And you need to be focused on it all the time. And you need to, one of the methods that's prescribed um, to fix social ills is active discrimination. And mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. it's awful, awful mm -hmm. stuff. I mm -hmm. cannot believe that the American School Counseling Association thinks that what that guy has to say is would be useful, but there it is, right on the American yeah. School Counseling Association website. Yeah, and when earlier you said something when I was reading the civility pledge language out about how uh, I don't remember how you phrased it, but you were like, "It's not. It's not necessarily like there's this little evil group planning this stuff." No. But well, what I what I come back to is who is where is this originating? Because the same, these DEI yeah. trainings, the forced inclusion of all this stuff, it looks the same everywhere yeah, right. that it's being done. And it, and in situations like this, this, the, the reason that it really was so, um, I guess it just made such a, a stark impression on me in this program was that it's, it stands in such opposition to the right. other things that you're being taught. So how can you be sitting in one class and talk about multicultural competencies, knowing what that actually means. Yeah. And talking about Carl Rogers. Like, how can you do that? And, right. and, you, and this is, let's do a paper on Carl Rogers. Make sure you include your intersectionality right. assessment. You're right. Mean, you know, they are, they are mutually exclusive mm -hmm. uh, ideas. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, counselors, counseling as a profession needs to reaffirm that 
persons in mental distress and children do not exist to gratify the ideological needs of the of counselors or by the way counselor educators and that is precisely what is allowed under this set of guidelines mm -hmm. it's saying hey let's use our counseling clients you know we'll you know, they're, we know they're vulnerable, but, you know, we're really, we're doing good things for them. Like it's, we, we've got the good ideas. Um, so let's go ahead and use them as chess pieces uh, to change society, to match our, our political vision. Mm -hmm. And so the, the ACA really needs to go back and have a moratorium on, on, you know, the multicultural and social justice counseling competencies and say, look, you know, that we made a mistake here. We really need to, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we really need to go back and look at this, look at how, you know, authors are talking about this being played out. Mm -hmm. um, looking at what we are subjecting our students to and in, in trainings, what are we, what are we expecting our students to subject um, their therapy clients to and to the children. I mean, the American School Counseling Association has recommended Kendi's book. And Kendi, again, he's put out this idea that there are racists and there are anti-racists mm -hmm. and there's nothing in between. And being an anti-racist sounds like a good thing, but in order to do that, you have to you know, view yourself as either marginalized or oppressed. You have to, um, you have to consider anyone who doesn't hold your views to be racist. Mm -hmm. And this is what they're teaching to kids. Well, they're I mean, teaching black American and white thinking, which is not. Sure. I mean, that's that's unhealthy thinking. They're teaching you the, the to, to split. <laughs> terribly, terribly unhealthy thinking. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. Kendi even wrote a book for. Um, uh, you know, toddlers that is yeah. anti racist baby or something. Yeah, but yeah. guess what? One of the steps is we were talking about the importance of confession earlier because it's okay. sort of it, um, you know, confession both gets a person to get status by confessing, it also makes the ideas to which one is confessing more important. Mm -hmm. And this, again, for toddlers, Kendi is prescribing that, that toddlers confess their racism. I'm what? not kidding. That's like, that's like oh step seven in the book. How, that doesn't I, even I, make sense. A toddler. Wow. It's written for that, toddlers. That is really, it, it, that's it, kind it, of heartbreaking, actually, to hear that that's a thing out there, that anybody would think and anybody would endorse such ideas. Well, so I think like it's a really important time for counselors. Like it's it's not too late to take a step back, but we have to find the moral courage to do that. And that's going to involve you know, looking at someone, say an ally who's crying and, and you know, raving and, and who's terribly upset and who's, you know, screaming and saying, no, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're so upset. Um, I, and you clearly feel this very deeply, but no, we do not indoctrinate our therapy clients. We just don't do it. Mm -hmm. And so, no, um, sorry. Mm -hmm. Like we have to find the moral courage to say that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we want to be agreeable. We want to be nice. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. We want to be inclusive, but you have, we have to like, it's time for some straight talk mm -hmm. in the profession about what is going on. It's time for some adults to come into the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very well said. Um, you know, and I think that picking up on that, I'd love to maybe do a part two. Could we? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's called for because I think like individual people who are like, we could go into like a little more detail about the rhetoric that is used mm -hmm. and how language is used deceptively and how people tend to get caught into this trap. I think we tried to provide like mm -hmm. a very broad um, overview today. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would also just say that like, I think, I think the ACA has a really a great opportunity. They've got a really strong statement uh, about mm -hmm. not imposing um, our views onto our clients. Mm -hmm. It's a really good statement. As far as I know, I'm not, I, I'm not an expert on the APA mm -hmm. code of ethics, but I, I don't think that they have something like that. So the mm -hmm. ACA has a really, really good, solid, um, position on this, but they really need to stand behind they it. Get behind and it. they really need to understand that, that diversity, equity, and inclusion and anti-racism and not imposing our values are mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. you could like try to find some kind of tortured logic to try to find, but they mm -hmm. just are not. And if mm -hmm. you need any more proof of that, like go read how to talk to your white clients about race and look at what's going on mm -hmm. and then read Merlou's The Rape of the Mind. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, if that absent like a change a, to go away from the politicization of psychotherapy, we're probably gonna have to really look very hard at starting new organizations, not mm -hmm. that are anti-woke. Like we don't need to sort of go anti-woke or anything like that. But what we do need to do is to have non-political organizations yes. where, where, uh, where um, the, um, you know, what, what we're researching and what we're talking about in therapy is the result of objective mm -hmm. studies and non-politicized ideas. Yes. Uh, Yes. And uh, there is one organization that's doing that now that's kind of exciting. It's the International Association of Psychology and Counseling. And okay. um, that, that can kind of be a professional home to people. You know, you don't have to be anti-woke mm -hmm. to say, I, I don't want to be political in therapy. Mm -hmm. And my, 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 my hope is that the ACA will say, ooh, I want in on that. You know, maybe <laughs> like we were really trying to do something good here, yeah. but it didn't out we just need to take another look at mm -hmm. this and you know well I, hopefully with enough with enough pressure and enough pushback if yeah. we see a shift start to happen maybe that can yeah and i think that it's it's very important that you know in the event that they shift that everyone who's seen this as a problem mm -hmm. um, is gracious about the shift back, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. to take sort of the Daryl Davies humanist approach and just say, hey, you know what? Sometimes mistakes really are made and mm -hmm. that's okay. And, and mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're on top of it. We're gonna fix it. We're gonna get it right. You know, I'm, I'm sure that we could do that as a profession, but 
like we've really got to look very carefully at the implications and as they've always said within the profession have very difficult conversations yeah and a lot of harms have been done in the name of this so well it sure sounds that way i mean that the the data on what's actually happening is not there yet this is a relatively yeah. new phenomenon but if someone were to follow this model of manipulation what what, what this author is essentially saying is, if you can just push a person's shame button over and over and over again and mm -hmm. give them mm -hmm. that escape hatch, you can, through negative reinforcement, get them to comply with a political mm -hmm. ideology that you favor. Mm -hmm. And that is pernicious and that mm -hmm. is wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's okay for the ACA to say that. And, you know, just going back to what you said about a developing an ideologically neutral or objective yeah. space for uh, for therapy professionals, a new organization, that ties neatly back into what my framework was when I refused to when I dropped the class refusing to sign the civility pledge. I knew that if I if I were to post something in a in uh, objection to the pledge then I would position myself opposite that. And I didn't want that. I wanted this whole That's thing civil. to be somewhere in the middle. I wanted us to just be talking about therapy. Let's actually talk about trauma, grief, and loss. I don't want to muck, muck this up and yeah. have everything be about how we think about well, and, and, you know, as you and I have discussed, you really do need to understand that people, you know, especially if, if you live someplace Burlington, Vermont in general, where I am, has relatively few Black people. Mm. Like people could grow up here and, and not meet many people who have experienced racism and not be prepared mm. for it. So that it's not that that's not an important part of counselor training, but manipulation of vulnerable people and children has no place in the ethical practice Absolutely. of psychotherapy. And I don't know if the ACA doesn't look at this i you know i guess i hope that legislators will mm -hmm. uh, you know this is dangerous you you do not use psychotherapy for political purposes you yeah. just don't i think that's yeah that is absolutely <laughs> absolutely true and i think that's a good place to to pause for now and speaking speaking of psychotherapy i think i have a you have a client one coming in so. <laughs> <laughs> leslie well, it was lovely excellent. to talk to you i i think we covered like a broad range and i think so too i really yeah. like enjoyed speaking with you and hearing your ideas and um uh, people can reach me at kinsvader.aaron at gmail.com if they want to say um hello or whatever i'm out there i know it can be like a it's it can be it can feel awfully lonely when um you know when when you're seeing these things and you don't like it and and you're walking down the road with somebody mm -hmm. and you're looking at like wow i'm going to be on the wrong wrong side of a group process here yeah or yeah. you know i'm going to be um ostracized for not signing the civility pledge or whatever so it's, it's really important to forge um healthy relationships and mm -hmm. that that do not have conditions of worth uh, applied to them. And then I know you're you're part of the solid ground group, which I can absolutely recommend as, as being fantastic. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a wonderful group. And we look forward to hopefully having you on with us to talk.
some more about some of these things and some of your experiences as well to okay. join us well, and, uh, I, I, and maybe do another another round of this too because i think that there's just so much here to yeah, there, there so, really is a lot to yeah. cover and yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, boy, but wow, we we really worked here. So. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot, Leslie. Yeah, it was well, wonderful. It was absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining okay. me. And okay. and please send me any links that you'd like me to include. This is up now on the live, but I'll go back later and edit the video so that all the links will be underneath for people if they want to follow uh, anything that we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's some really good things that we could provide them with. So. Okay. Okay. Hey, take care. Awesome. You too. Thanks, Aaron. Bye. Bye. <laughs>